www.pbpodcastnetwork. You have to get them in the mouth to kill them. <laughs> this is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 210 for the week of July 9th, 2018. I am Magic Mole David Teagle, and I'm here with Plagueling Sarah D. Bunting. X-Hole! Blackblood Tara Ariano. I'm the last of my kind. And Gammy Leg, Monty Ashley. Could you carry me? I'm so tired. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Extra Hot. Great. We are back after a week off celebrating the birth of uh, America. So there you go. Today, we are talking about a new CW show, and I use <laughs> CW show very loosely, as we'll probably talk about, The Outpost. And uh, before we get into it and our uh, guest, Monty Ashley, I just want to say this about The Outpost. Let the wide stick give you the edge. Speed stick, super dry, <laughs> antiperspirant. The Outpost. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, please welcome our esteemed guest, Back for the umpteenth time, it's Monty Ashley. Hello, Monty. Hi, Monty. Hello. Yay! Thank you. So, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, Tara asks, uh, what are we going to talk about this week? Is it going to be season two of something? Or is it going to be this show called The Outpost? And I say, what's The Outpost about? And she says, I don't know, elves? I think people got pointy ears. And that's why we're talking about it today. I said, Sure. Pointy ear show, please. <laughs> um, smash cut to today. Woo, how did this show get on an actual network? It is. <laughs> if you put this in 1998, like this would still be a second runner to like Hercules and Xena at all. Your Cleopatra's 2020, your whatever's. Like Queen this of is, Swords. Yeah, this yeah. is like really, really like stem to stern an amateur production. And it is sort of amazing that it's on the CW. You know, granted, it's a summer show and I'm sure they're going to burn it off real quick. But wow, I was really impressed by how terrible this was. Monty Ashley, what were your impressions of the outcome? How mad were you at us for making you watch this? <laughs> oh, I've watched way worse garbage than this. When I. <laughs> When I called out Queen of Swords, that's because I watched multiple episodes of Queen of Swords. <laughs> that's not just a guess. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, this show is extremely Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. But it has such a reliance on CGI that just isn't good enough <laughs> to convey what they want to convey. No. That they have to cut away from the CGI so quickly. Like, at one point... They spend a scene talking about how there are grayskins over the other side of the river. Grayskins, they keep saying. Look out for the grayskins. Mm -hmm. Then they go across the river, and, oh, grayskins are trolls. And one of the characters actually says, huh, I didn't think there'd be grayskins over here. <laughs> <laughs> and then we cut, and that's it for the grayskins, because we can't show more than three seconds of them. And the grayskins, if anybody knows this game, the grayskins look like the, uh, the dude from Oddworld. The uh, video game series from uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, it's true. Pretty bad. Um, yeah, you're talking about how it's very Dungeons and Dragonsy. Like it, 
it looks like it, the visuals when it's not just a green screen, they look like your local theme parks medieval section. Like if you're in Toronto, you went to Canada's <laughs> Wonderland and you're going to ride the Dragon's Fire. You know, they got all that fake, you know, cobblestone and all that going on. Oh. That's the what it looks like. <laughs> and as far as the writing, it's sort of like this is like a first generation's artificial intelligence attempt to synthesize a fantasy world based on other works that have been fed. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Like how the bad guys are faceless guys in armor called the prime order. Yes. <laughs> Who put on masks to kill people and immediately take off the mask as soon as they start killing people. So what were the masks for in the first That's place? That's a different group of bad guys. Mm-hmm. That's the covenant. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, let's rewind. This is a story about an elf girl whose family is killed, whose mother has magic moles on the side of her head that mm. uh, summon helper demons from another realm, I'm going to guess is what that was about. And yeah. this character, whose name is Talon, because of course it is, uh, <laughs> is uh, the, the series just seems to be her quest for vengeance and to find out who murdered her whole elven clan. Yeah, Samurai Jane. But live action, <laughs> in Land of the Lost, and even crappier. And also, it's called The Outpost, so there's no way she's ever leaving this fort that she gets to in the first right. episode. And I kept forgetting that it was, like, I don't know why, but I just had, like, a mental block on the title. So I kept calling it, like, The Outcast, The yeah. Outhouse, The Paperless <laughs> Post. Like, I just could not remember <laughs> anything about, I mean, this could not be less for me. If it tried, and it really tried, it really tried. Like my notes at one point at the end, I think I stopped taking notes, like I'm going to say 11 minutes in. Mm-hmm. But uh, someone is, you know, portentously declaiming about how there's over 50 score of something. And I'm like, just say a thousand douche. And that is my <laughs> last note on the show. I just yeah. don't think i understand who this is for like if you are it's me not willing to pay for hbo why would you watch this game of phones <laughs> three okay so monty you say this is for you will you keep watching it i will watch a couple more episodes to wow see- <laughs> look i can see a good version of this show mm-hmm. uh, continue uh, here uh-huh. are some here are a couple of things I liked about it because I am a kind, open-hearted person. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked that in the first 15 minutes, sh- there had been two useless male sidekicks already killed off. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because <laughs> there was the one in the beginning where you're like, okay, so these two go around and, oh, no, he's dead. And then you go back to the, ta- the time when her whole village gets killed, exactly like in Conan the Barbarian. And she's got a little buddy there, too. And you're like, oh, does he grow up to be that friend she had? Oh, no, he's dead, too. Yep. So I, I like that they killed off her friends. <laughs> Open-hearted. Yeah. Uh-huh. Please go on. Uh, let's see. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Oh, I thought it was funny <laughs> that – okay, so there's this awful, awful dude named Captain Garrett Spears who yes. – Who should be running some sort of pickle empire, but – yeah. <laughs> I'd watch that show. You know how in a Bronte novel, there's always the scene where you go, I hate that man. He's so conceited and stuck up. That is exactly how I feel about him. He is the worst. Like, 
He's got a smirk I cannot stand. Yeah. But <laughs> I like that they lean into it by, A, having him explain that he chose the name Spears when yep. he enlisted. <laughs> <laughs> so you actually leaned into the uh, cliche name. Okay, well, that's something. <laughs> <laughs> and at, when he's first show up, you, my first thought is, my God, this guy looks exactly like Gallivant, who is the lead character of the show Gallivant, which is uh -huh. much better than this show. And it, Gallivant looks like a generic hero, and that's the joke. This guy <laughs> looks like a generic hero because they think he's supposed to look like a generic hero. So my mm. thought was, oh, no, he's going to be in a romantic relationship with our lead. But then later, uh, after she's led the stereotypically stuck-up princess out of the bar, and I don't know why she needed help getting out of the bar. There's a door. Um, you discover that the princess is actually hooked up with Captain Garrett Spears. I'm like, oh, so either we're not going to have a romantic relationship with Spears. That's great. Or better yet, we're going to have a big, complicated three-way love triangle where both the princess and Captain Garrett Spears get involved with our heroine, and then they end up in a polyamorous love triad like four <laughs> seasons down the line. Now that I thought she was, I thought happen. the princess was his sister. But for some reason, I got the impression the princess was uh, Garrett's sister. Oh, is that how it is in their family? I don't know. Sister. Oh, man. <laughs> Did they kiss? I don't even remember. They looked... I'm, yeah, it was... I mean, it was a little like Brandon and Brenda Walsh in the early seasons sure. in yeah. terms of like the insufficient proxemic bubble between siblings, but <laughs> well, I don't care. Throw that in. And their siblings. Polyamorous, right. incestuous sure. triad. It's, that's what Tumblr likes. No matter musical, who it is, they all look like they're from medieval times because the costuming, yeah. like even though this is supposed to be this outpost <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, like everybody's uniforms are so fresh and crisp and directly oh. from the sewing machines and they haven't bothered to weather them at all, that they all look like they're on a – which they are. They all look like they're on a terrible cheesy set. Mm -hmm. Oh, the this, the room where they had their final fight? So clean and so generic. <laughs> Look, we got these uh, – these While uh, wearing shipping blankets, no less. <laughs> At the end of the episode, to jump to the end of the episode because I figure we're, 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 we're quite near to saying all we can say about the outpost. But uh -huh. at the end of it, my favorite part of the whole episode is that Talon tracks down one of the baddies that uh, was responsible for wiping out her village back in the flashback. And they stab each other with swords. And then he falls down and writes like a small short story in blood on the cobblestones. <laughs> it's like, do yeah. not be concerned. Let it be known <laughs> that me, Sir Blackheart, now doth decree that there was one elf left after all. Signed, as I said before, Sir Blackheart. <laughs> P.S. There is some money in my boot. <laughs> and he never even lifts his head off the cobblestone, so... It's all skewed from his perspective. I thought he did a great job. <laughs> oh, it, it was it was amazing. Like, you know, if if you only have 10, 15 seconds to live and you can scroll that much on a, on, you know, on the ground, you got talent. It's just a shame that you had to find out about it here at the end of all things. <laughs> yeah, maybe spend that energy on a tourniquet. Yeah. So the the one thing that they, you know, just tease but they don't fully explain is that the elves have uh, or or the like the matriarchal leader of the elves have like magic glowing blue moles on their on their temples 
and they make them summon some sort of monster from a portal who helps them. Uh, we've only seen this arm so far, so that's very exciting. What's the rest of it look like? Ooh. Um, again, it's CG from 1999, uh, the kind of where like it's just shaded, but there's no textures. And even that is like a from a sci-fi show that I would also not be watching, but <laughs> wasn't there some show where like dinosaurs had come through a portal and we're just running around vancouver i mean it wasn't supposed to be vancouver but uh there was some like guy who had to jump between the worlds and corral these dinosaurs i'm pretty sure i had to recap this for just at some point yeah uh no no that was fox no that does sound familiar though there was a british version and then they did a spin-off was it the lost Uh, world maybe okay but it wasn't. But it wasn't like Jurassic Park branded. It was no, just no. Like, but there was a show called The Lost World that I think had. I think that's to do probably with dinosaurs it. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Or like you know, bland worth billion dinosaur hunter. Like <laughs> it, yeah, it just looked. It just looked like that. All right, guys. I think I've said all I need to say about the outpost. It's um, you know, if you're from Canada and you know, like half of Canadian TV is like. Canada in production with five other countries presents this middling show. This is one of those shows <laughs> and the CW yeah. didn't yeah. make this show. They just bought the show in the international market. So that should help you place this quality. Spectrum. I did look it up cause I was curious. I did think that this was just like a shitty Canadian show that they bought from like global or something. Cause it has that look, <laughs> but um, it turns out it is, it was made for sci-fi, but like the sci-fi's various uh, <laughs> oh, no. international channels. So it's like sci-fi Germany and sci-fi France, I think, or UK, I forget which. And then um, no sci-fi UK and Ireland, I think. And then, uh, but it and and it wasn't even filmed in Canada, despite seeming extremely Canadian. It was filmed in the Canada of America, Utah. So you definitely get the best Mormon fight coordination that money can buy for thirty five dollars in this one <laughs> and only episode that the CW provided to critics. I want to mention one other thing I thought was hilarious. Two other things. I got two more things I want to say about this show. Okay. One. Um, our hero, Talon, wants to work as a barmaid. So she goes into the bar and meets this weird dude named Janzo, who says, let me get you a drink. She says no. He goes off, and we see him fill a mug from a keg and then pour st- other stuff into it. Like he stealthily pulls out a tiny little bottle and puts a few drops in. Yeah. And brings it to her. It turns out he's an okay guy and was just adding stimulants to his winter ale for quenching thirst because he's the best brewer in the realm. But that's 100% a roofie, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. (laughs) If this show leans into its dumbness, like the bad guy in this episode is named Toru Magmore, and he is absolutely (laughs) bristling with katanas. (laughs) And if he had like four more katanas and an even sillier name, I think we might have something. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give it a couple more episodes to see. To get even worse. And yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but get worse better, not worse worse. I mean, yeah. he's yeah. right. The, the only way to salvage this show is to really just lean into like how hamstrung the whole enterprise really is and just go for broke. It's Literally. 2018. The fight scenes should be at least as fun as, as Zeno's were. And mm-hmm. 
they are like a tenth of a Xena. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's they need to get themselves a trampoline. That's your box quote. <laughs> a tenth of a Xena, Monty Ashley. Extra hot great. <laughs> Time to go around the aisle. First stop, Tara Ariano. Uh, two shows by Netflix that both came out on the same day and that Dave and I watched all of in uh, the weekend that they that they landed. First, nailed it. Season two, once again, way too short. Once again, delightful. They basically haven't changed anything with the formula. It's the same show as season one, and it's still great. Dave, would you agree? But the seasons came pretty quick. That wasn't like a yes, whole they year. Did. Like like they're they may only be doing six, but if they could do them only a few months in between, hey, that's not mm-hmm. bad. Yeah. Yes. But you would you agree it was still good? Oh yeah, it was still good. And uh I'm just saying, like, you know, it may be short, but you're we're getting more of them a year. So maybe they're just saving us from ourselves in that regard. Yes. You know, from watching fourteen at once. We just get like six now and six in the fall, you know, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. Sarah, have you watched it yet? I have not. Okay. There was a lot. I will say this se- this season, they seem to do a more non-baking stuff. Yeah, which, that's as, true. You know, I was like browsing about it. Like, why? How is this baking? You're like, well, it's not baking. It's just, <laughs> you know, it's just expectation Preparing. versus reality in the kitchen stuff, which is fine. But some of them, like one of them was your, you know, when people do Super Bowl party platters and this, like, like you know, stadium. it's the whole stadium you know, yeah. the guacamole end zones and there's cheese stick people and blah, blah, blah. They did that, which just seemed to me to be a case of assembly. Like they didn't actually mm-hmm. have to do anything. They just had to assemble it, which sounds like it would be easy. Of course, they found ways to fuck it up. And that was kind of amazing. Yes. But I was just like, what? I was like arms crossed. And by the end of the episode, I'm like, you got me again. Nailed it. Hmm. See, I, watched, <laughs> I only watched the first episode of season two and it was all baking. So I thought it was. Is it not all baking? Nope. Mostly baking, but not always baking. Correct. Yeah. And yet the guacamole challenge, the woman who fucked it up the worst was the one who was from Texas. Like, how how is that even possible? I've never made guacamole before. Like, what? They had to tell her about spices. She was like, news to <laughs> me. Anyway. Wow. Oregano. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? Um Yes. So the other show that we watched way too fast was Glow. I should have savored it. Glow season two. So good. Um, Really advances the story, brings in um, a new character who I thought was really fun. She's like a she they recruit her from a strip club. She's also a break dancer. And so they like they bring that into the show. It's funny how they how they show um, Ruth, who was like sort of the the. um type a like annoying jerk in season one (laughs) like they how they show how she has like a natural director's producer's eye for like making a good show sometimes more so than than sam does and then um season eight is or episode eight is just like a half hour episode of glow the show within the show which is hilarious like they they do not they don't wink at it at all. It's just exactly what this dumb show would be if it were a real dumb show in the like mid late eighties. I, I said to Dave, like, this is basically an episode of the monkeys. Like it, that it's that <laughs> silly with, with fight scenes in it, which are great. Um, but they also have um, found new ways to get the characters to kind of relate to each other. The, the Debbie Ruth 
kind of confrontation that has been on a simmer for most of season one and like the bulk of season two comes to a head in a way I thought was really satisfying in episode, I think seven starts at the end of episode six. And then seven is sort of all of the aftermath of, of what occurs. And the two of those performers are amazing together. Betty, that Betty Gilpin is not going to win like 7,000 Emmys for this part is a tragedy. Cause I love her so much in this part. You should have a, a side eye award just for her yeah because <laughs> her facial expressions in some of these scenes where she's just being dismissive or surprised or whatever they're just like mm -hmm. so spot on and feel yeah. so natural and in the moment it was like that's amazing yeah but but also like for her character her liberty bell character too like she just goes for it so hard and someone tweeted the gif of her going i've been at home baking pies pies of rage like i obviously can't do it as well as she does but like she's amazing she's it's incredible what she can do in this role and um seeing what they did with her and tammy who is the only other mom character in the cast of the show within the show um i thought was really touching and well done and earned and so i i i did feel that some of it was they would just give people like a couple of things to do because the cast is so big and otherwise you weren't servicing everybody's storylines but i hope that you know they can they can give some of the other minor characters more to do in season three um ellen wong from carrie diaries is one that i thought definitely should have gotten more to do mouse um, I know, but it's so good. I mean, I just love the show so much. It it had no false steps in it really, other than my like tiny niggling <laughs> complaints. Like overall, it's it's wonderful. It'll make you feel great. Watch season one and season two back to back if you haven't yet. It's 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 fantastic. Dave, your thoughts? I, I no, I agree with everything you said. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It it felt like it, it wasn't a rehash of season one, you know, like yeah. I, I think the danger of a show like Glow, where the premise is so outrageous, is that you could hang your hat on that. And mm -hmm. I don't think they did that. I think they extended parts of that. Certainly, the as you say, the monkeys episode was unique yeah. in that way. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. But also, like they managed to they managed to pull away from the actual wrestling and still make it feel like it was about Glow this season, yeah. which is you know. Yeah, it's, I mean, they have. A, there's a certain kind of problem that you have trying to put a show together when the show hasn't actually started yet, and then when the show does start, you have different kinds of problems. So it's like it's progressing in a logical way that's also really satisfying, I would say. For my plugs, uh, the other major premiere that we didn't talk about this week is HBO's Sharp Objects. This is the collaboration of um, Gillian Flynn of Gone Girl fame and Jean-Marc Vallée, the director of all of season one of Big Little Lies and Amy Adams who and Patricia Clarkson, who are, you know, just waiting until they get to win their Emmys next year. But uh, it's very good. It's on HBO Sunday nights, their new their new uh, limited series. And I will be recapping it for Decider, uh, home of our former colleague, Joe Reed. And I also wrote a story for Slate about Paid Off with Michael Torpy, which is and this is not a joke, a true TV game show where you compete uh, to win the value of your outstanding student loan debt. So, uh, you know, Pinko Jones over here had some thoughts about that late capitalist nightmare and they let me write about them. So we'll link both of those in the show notes. Sorry, I just had one follow up. I didn't quite catch the first show title you were talking about. Let the wide stick give you the edge. Speed stick, super dry, antiperspirant. Sharp objects. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Monty Ashley, what do you got? Now, I thought that was sharp objects. 
like there was a guy who named Sharp who objected to things. <laughs> no, it is. No, you didn't. <laughs> You're right. I was uh, I was trying to make a little joke to make you. <laughs> uh, I have been watching a wide variety of crappy reality shows, as usual. Uh, I will not talk about Face Off, although I love Face Off, and it's back, and it's in its last season, so people should be watching it. Instead, I'm going to talk about Penn and Teller's Fool Us, which <laughs> claims to be a game show. The premise of the show, which is a lie, is that magicians come on the show, perform a trick for Penn and Teller and an audience of fools, and then Penn and Teller try to guess how the trick is done. Um, and they do, I would say, guess all but one or two per episode because the show is all shot in a row and then they just re-edit. Uh, a fun thing to do is notice that Allison Hannigan, as the barely competent host, always <laughs> wears the same dress so that they can just swap <laughs> her into anything. Uh, what I like about the show is that that's not really what the show is about. Penn and Teller figured out a way to get people to watch magicians they've never heard of on television. So they'll say, oh, this guy's got a pretty good card trick, and they have him on the show. Now, they know exactly how this card trick is done, and the guy knows they know how it's done. He's using a standard uh, gimmick deck of cards, and when he's done, uh, Penn will say many, many nice things about how great he is and what a great performance he is. And, oh, yeah, we know exactly how that trick is done. And usually the guy just says, yeah, you do, and leaps. <laughs> but I really like that they're just giving the national television audience, or as much of the national audience as you can have in July, to just random magicians that sometimes have really cool personas. Also, you get to see just how garbage mentalist acts are. <laughs> Every episode has this incredibly long, drawn-out mentalist act where the guy seals an envelope and then spends like 10 minutes getting people to say random <laughs> things. And it's excruciating. And sometimes he's doing jokes along the way and they're also awful. And I love that. Nothing's better to me than just the worst jokes imaginable by somebody who, on national television. And then he opened the envelope and, hey, he predicted everything you were going to say. It's magic. It's not magic. Mentalism is awful and the worst type of magic act. But I like that they keep bringing it back when everybody's doing the exact same gimmicks. <laughs> I admit it's not a great show, but I enjoy Penn and Teller. Uh, I enjoy Teller more than Penn because Teller knows when to shut up occasionally. And I like that magic is a super niche thing to be good at. And to be good at, you really have to be dedicated at it for years and years. I just, I like that these guys get a moment of national exposure for their years of practice of this dumb card trick. And for not being David Blaine. Yeah. Very few of these guys are going for the David Blaine or Chris Angel. I'm a magician, the super cool kind of magician. Some of them do, though, and that's great. Uh, for my plug, I'm going to talk about my podcast, The Villain Edit. Uh, this is a podcast on which I and my girlfriend, Rias Hall, talk about low to mid-tier competitive reality shows, such as Forged in Fire, which I love, or mm -hmm. Face Off, which is 
probably better than mid-tier, but it's not famous. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at the at Villain Edit, or uh, go to theincomparable.com, which is where our podcast network is, and find the Villain Edit there. The Villain Edit. Hooray! Sarah Budding. Hello. Um, I have been catching up on all sorts of TV during the week off uh, and also watched some uh, tennis while lying motionless in front of the AC. Uh, but I wanted to talk about Animal Kingdom today. Uh, James Ponawazic was asking a couple weeks ago on Twitter uh, if he should get back into it. And while I adore the show, I wasn't really sure how I would answer that. It is one of those shows that if it didn't grab you from the beginning, it's probably not going to be any grabbier after an investment of time. Uh, I wonder how much that depends on whether people saw or did not see the movie. I did see it and I loved it, but this is a very different animal, haha, as it were, at this point. Um, Anyway, our esteemed colleague Mark Blankenship also observed Ray the Show on Twitter that he wants Nikki, who is Jay's semi-girlfriend slash Cody family hostage made at this point to just escape and live a normal life, like get a finance degree, open a coffee shop, whatever. Uh, I do not disagree with this vision board, but I think it's much more likely that she is going to die soon. Not a spoiler. Uh, So here's my idea is that in an alternate universe, Nikki should get a spinoff with Nicole Chance of Chance, played by uh, Carrie Diaries' Stefania Owen, and Maddie Bosch of Bosch. Uh, they need to team up as the California I-Roll Detective Agency. Each of them will run an office in her respective California city, and an entire new genre, Juco Noir, will be born. I am not <laughs> a crackpot. Speaking of Mark, but not of crackpots, we have some sweet <laughs> guests coming up this summer on Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs, and two of them will be helming our first spinoff, a folk homage to the vanity singles of The Real Housewives. <laughs> Before that happens, Kevin Flynn will be joining us to talk Elvis Costello. We've got some Def Leppard and some Miranda Lambert, and then Dan Rogie and Tracy Potochnik of Monica the Musical and Monica the Podcast. We'll be discussing Don Johnson and Bruce Willis's top 10 hits of the mid 80s with us. And then it's going to be very countessy up in there. So if you have a heartbeat, that's Don Johnson's song, you should check out Mark and Sarah talk about songs on uh, any podcast distribution platform. It is time for the cannon, and Monty, swing for the fences. Ashley is back with a, another <laughs> submission. Take it away, Monty. <laughs> All right. My episode is Heart of Ice from Batman the Animated Series. There are a number of conflicting episode lists, but I'm going with the source that says this is the third episode of season one because I like it when good episodes come right at the beginning of a show's run. I think that's more impressive. People say they like Batman, but Batman's a lot of things. I've got a lot of run-up before I get to the actual episode. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes Batman is a Zorro ripoff from 1939. Sometimes he's a wacky TV show from 1966. Sometimes he's Ben Affleck. (laughs) None of these Batman is much like any other, and the same is true of his various villains and backup characters. And I believe that the best version of pretty much every Batman-related character came in Batman the Animated Series. 
It took the scenic design of the Tim Burton Batman movie and brought a depth and reality to even the goofiest characters that hadn't previously been there. Mr. Freeze, for example, was just a standard, crazy German scientist with a freeze gun. In the world of comic books, that counts as a standard character. He might as well be Columbina or Il Dottore. <laughs> I looked those up. <laughs> he was generic enough that when he appeared in the ba Adam West Batman series, he was played by three different actors. George Sanders, Eli Wallach, and Otto Preminger. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. <gasps> they're all good actors, but they're very different types. Luckily, when they're stuck in a spacesuit and told to do a silly German accent, they're pretty much the same guy. Footnote, I know Otto Preminger is Austrian and just used his own accent. So, Mr. Freeze was a nobody villain. Until <laughs> Batman the Animated Series, which gave him a backstory and motivation so good, he was instantly A-list. So much that, a few years later, he'd be played by Arnold Schwarzenegger in the absolute garbage movie Batman and Robin. And that, of course, would turn into McBain on The Simpsons saying... Nice to see you. And that kind of ruined the character for everyone, because now Mr. Freeze just makes everyone think about dumb ice puns. But if you'll return with me now to September 1992, a time at which some listeners may not even have been born yet, I intend to show that Mr. Freeze was, for a moment, elevated to greatness. In the episode Heart of Ice, which is what I'm getting to, just hold your dang horses. <laughs> Coming into this, by the way, I have nine straight successful canon slash no neck presentations, and I'm really tense about this one, so I really want to get to ten. <laughs> All right. The episode starts by presenting Freeze as a standard villain, complete with an on-the-nose ice pun, and then it cuts to a news lady named Summer catching us up on the plot, because 30-minute animated shows don't have a lot of time to dance around with exposition. Dave, please play clip one. This is how I'll always remember you. Surrounded by winter, forever young, forever beautiful. Rest well, my love. The monster who took you from me will soon learn that revenge is a dish best served cold. In the midst of the hottest August on record, a rash of bizarre cold-related crimes have chilled Gotham to the bone. Once again, the target is a goth corp facility, attacked by an assailant wielding what witnesses called a freezing gun. So, we know that some bad guy is out there freezing stuff. It's still very early in the run of Batman the Animated Series, as early as Episode 3, depending on which website you look at. So, there's no reason for the audience to view this as anything but a standard Hammondegger villain out knocking over banks <laughs> in preparation for being socked in the jaw by a dude dressed like a bat. As Batman investigates, he discovers a few things. First, this dude is, for lack of a better word, ice cold. One of his henchmen gets stuck in the ice, and Freeze just leaves him there to die. This isn't that out of character for most Batman villains, but we usually don't get a close-up of the henchman pleading for his life. And when Bruce Wayne investigates Gothcorp, the company that's being robbed, the audience's sympathies might start to shift a little. Please play clip two. <coughs> what was he doing? Wasting company money. My money. Look, Bruce, that people company line is great PR, but when the wage slaves start acting like they own the place, it's time to pull the plug. Know what I mean? Sir, the humanitarian committee is here. I'll be right out. We're hosting a ceremony tonight for Gotham's humanitarian industrialist of the year. Guess who's winning? I feel ill. Hmm? <coughs> Excuse me, Ferris. My cold. 
Congratulations on your award. I'm sure it's well deserved. Hey, is, is that Mark Hamill? It is Mark Hamill. Okay. Yeah, it is. <laughs> this was the first role he got on the show, and later he weaseled his way into being the Joker. Right, right, right. So this presents the question. Wait, what's so great about industrialists anyway? <laughs> sure, theft is bad, but are we sure it's bad to steal from this jerk? <laughs> it turns out that Batman the Animated Series doesn't take the label villain quite as seriously as some other versions of the Batman mythos. And that lets it get more subtle and interesting with its characterization. But Batman's still supposed to hunt down these weirdos, even if their victims are guys like this Ferris Boyle over here. So Batman sneaks into the big industrialist award show by disguising himself as a security guard with, by the way, his bat suit underneath the security guard uniform. We don't see where he has the cape. <laughs> and he watches a convenient videotape of Freeze's tragic backstory. It turns out that, first of all, he's actually named Victor Freeze, spelled F-R-I-E-S. So the name is just a fun coincidence, like when a woman named Summer was talking about how hot it is. That's just how it is in comic book land. If your name is Boyle, you're going to have an archenemy whose name is Freeze. <laughs> and also, Victor's wife, Nora, is being kept alive in a cryogenic chamber, which Ferris Boyle tried to turn off. And that would kill her, so you can see how Freeze could have a grudge. And after being knocked into the standard workbench full of chemicals, what is he supposed to do? Not make a giant Freeze Ray and try to take his vengeance? Come on! <laughs> After watching that, Batman gets captured pretty easily, and he and Freeze have a discussion about his motives in clip three. The snow is beautiful, don't you think? Clean, uncompromising, and cold. Like the swift hand of vengeance. I saw what happened to your wife. I'm sorry. I'm beyond emotions. They've been frozen dead in me. I would like to return to the theme of ice puns. This isn't a Mr. Freeze who bellows out, Do you know what killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age. <laughs> but he does talk about how his emotions have been frozen dead inside him. He's using the ice theme to talk about his internal feelings and motivations, which is inherently a more interesting thing to do with both the concept and the puns themselves. And of course, he does appear to feel emotions like the need for vengeance. I assume that's an emotion. But the thought of losing Nora has made him so depressed he can't feel positive emotions anymore. And because of this, he believes himself to be more emotionless than he actually is. His voice, to me, at the beginning of the show, seemed merely robotic. But it has shades of meaning, of sadness, of loss, that on a cartoon about Batman is really surprising. Now, we'll jump past the scene where Batman gets tired of being encased in ice and just muscles his way out. <laughs> <laughs> to the part where he's arrived at the party to save the day, stopping the, quote, villainous, unquote, Mr. Freeze. And another emotion Mr. Freeze appears to feel is despair. Clip four. Cut Vengeance. No. Justice. A year ago, Ferris Boyle interrupted an experiment and in the process destroyed two lives. Here's the evidence. Who... <laughs> 
Good night, humanitarian. <laughs> Freeze is devastated that his plan failed, and the audience feels bad for him. In less than 22 minutes, Batman the Animated Series has taken one of the most two-dimensional cookie-cutter comic book villains and gotten the audience on his side. Even Batman, who's not known for being soft on villainy, has to take down Ferris Boyle while he's there. The episode ends in a really melancholy fashion, with Mr. Freeze in his insulated jail cell crying as he thinks about his wife. There are very few iterations of Batman that go for melancholy at all, let alone that give this level of emotional depth to the villain. Clip five, please. I failed you. I wish there were another way for me to say it. But I cannot. I can only beg your forgiveness and pray you hear me somehow. Some place. Some place where a warm hand waits for mine. Judging by the music, he may be going to Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> After this episode, this was Mr. Freeze's backstory in every possible medium. Comics, video games, movies with Arnold Schwarzenegger. But they never did it as well as they did it in Batman the Animated Series, because that is where the best version of every Batman thing happened. And Batman the Animated Series never did any of its stuff as well or better than they did in Heart of Ice. And for that reason, I submit it for the canon. Thank you. This was such a wonderful presentation, and I wish that I had heard it uh, before. AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as $4.99 a month with an annual membership. And you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so... Let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film, and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W.com and use promo code EHG for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now! I watched the episode because oh, no. the presentation gives me so much like background and context about Batman properties and about uh, the evolution of this villain and so on and so forth. The episode qua episode, I spent most of it on the IMDb, like just 
disappearing down various IMDb holes based on the episode's cast page. Uh, like Robert David Hall, who played the coroner on CSI for a gazillion years, is is in the show. Uh, Mark Hamill, of course. Uh, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. Uh, and of course, Kevin Conroy as Batman, which is like the only thing on his CV. But <laughs> any like animated or voice Batman, he has played it. Um, so except uh, he also played Ted Kennedy once, <laughs> which sure. <laughs> that implies he can do another voice. I don't know how I, I feel about I, that. Wait, I think we discovered who Batman is. Batman is Ted Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> uh fat man just kidding r.a.p um yeah i just this episode uh, i i don't want to say left me cold and yet i have to because <laughs> you're a boo um yeah it it did uh i feel very um sad <laughs> the the frozen sea within uh about perhaps not voting for this and denying you a 10th in a row. I don't know what my colleagues are going to do, but uh, I have to say excellent presentation and excellent, like historical context marker. Um, I would go to a Batman museum with you and have you just like narrate <laughs> the entire experience. You are great. This episode was just kind of eh for me, unfortunately. And like I said, I wish I'd heard you talk about it first. Then I think I would have appreciated it more, but it's not the world we live in. Tara Ariano. Yeah, this is this didn't really work for me either. I mean, I appreciated the wage slave uh, line. And I also <laughs> I like that, say. that uh, Batman comes in fully having a cold and shakes the evil guy's hand. <laughs> so I kind of <laughs> hoped that more was going to come of that, that, that he isn't like, you know, oh, I'm actually sick, but whatever. That is the most passive aggressive way that Batman brings down an, a villain. But I, I mean, I think there is a, a, a <laughs> tradition of villains having sympathetic backstories in Batman, right? Like Catwoman obviously was, you know, technically a villain in Batman Returns and yet very sympathetic for the viewer, at least for this one, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I guess the category of sexy villain is there. Sure. Anyway, I mean, I appreciated that they, that that this was one that took down both, you know, Victor Freeze and the architect of his villain transformation. But at the same time, I also feel like, okay, but does Boyle go to Arkham Asylum too? Like he's he's also very bad. I don't understand the uh, the sentencing laws in Gotham. I will freely admit. <laughs> um, this Let was, me talk I mean, I, I okay. Uh, I, I get, I mean, I get, as Sarah said, <clears throat> having heard your, your presentation, I understand why you chose it, but I spent most of it thinking this is like one notch up from like a GI Joe. Sorry. Dave. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> All right. So here is my first, first I'm going to say what my, the crux of my problem with this episode is. And then I want to talk a lot about a lot of little things that are amazing. Okay. So my big issue, and I think this is sort of maybe what, Tara and Sarah were touching on is that I'm supposed to empathize with Mr. Freeze. And I think in order for that to be much more effective than it was, they really needed to make one of the flashbacks about him and his wife, not just him and this silhouetted. Oh yeah. True. Nothing. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. Um, because I don't care about his wife. We don't see his wife except as a, you know, an object of the ballerina snow globe thing. I think if they, established that backstory as one of the flashbacks at the start, it would have helped a lot. 
um, because you just like I I never felt the connection between him and his wife. It just sort of like starts at a certain point in time and doesn't let you travel back to a better time in Mister Freeze's life. So I think if they maybe switch that up a little bit, I think it would have made the rest of the episode feel more genuine in regards to that relationship and, you know, the sorrow and everything he feels after she's gone. That said, okay, I got a bunch of notes about this episode. First of all, let's talk about Batman's computers. <laughs> He's got a computer that uh, can, I, I'm calling it his configuratron, which he just like feeds it all the different parts of things people have stole, and it just moves them around like Lego pieces and then tells him what kind of weapon it could be built out of it. The Tex Avery-O-Tron. Love it. <laughs> uh, he's also got another different computer that is basically a microfiche scanner that has a dedicated hold button. And it's the only button on the keyboard with letters <laughs> on it, which is kind of weird. Um, Mr. Freeze generally is a bad manager. He's got a lot of henchmen, but he rules them all through fear exclusively, which, you know, is going to get around. People are going to start talking like this. Mr. Fee Freeze is just like a bad employer. It's is, is, is just like a, a dead end job. We need to talk about the ice effects of Mr. Freeze's weapons. There is one scene that was I found particularly odd, and Freeze and Batman are fighting. Batman scurries up on a walkway. Mr. Freeze freezes a portion of the walkway. It makes it brittle enough that Batman just falls through this metal, and then he freezes Batman, but then Batman just shakes it off after about 10 yeah. seconds. So what's going on with the strength of this ice ray? It can it can it can destroy metal, but Batman, who is you know, he's got a cowl, he he just shakes it off. Is it because of the suit? I don't think so. I mean, his face froze too. He's got exposed bits. Oh yeah, uh, metal freezes differently. The uh, crystalline structure of the oh. something something. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, the henchmen that I was talking about. Uh, have really fantastic parkas. They're like baby blue with a really wide hood. I think if actually somebody made those, I might want to buy one. They were like really fantastic looking. They were very sort of like they would have been at home in the Venture Brothers. They felt very uh, of that ilk. <laughs> uh, there's a, a gag, a, a running bit that uh, Monty didn't talk about, which is uh, Batman has a cold and Alfred gives Batman some chicken soup. It's the one sure cure for the common cold. And like Batman's sneezing all through the episode, which is like really, really weird the first time you hear it. I, I, I cut the clip. It's just like a very strange thing for Batman to be like, to have, to have like the sniffles. The hot chemical bath did the trick. <laughs> you could use a hot bath yourself. I can't worry about a cold now. <laughs> Mr. Freeze doesn't get Batman. Surely the common cold will. And then it comes up again when he's meeting, uh, what's his nuts? With all the compartments on your belt, you'd think there'd be one for tissues. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so snotty sounding. It was kind of fantastic. Um <clears throat> What else do we have? Oh, when Batman when when Batman goes as the guard and uh, sort of lets the other guard know that uh, Mister Boyle has uh, invited him to the party, that guard who's dismissed does the strut out of the scene. <laughs> and if you haven't watched it, I can say like in a movie, this strut is usually reserved for the nerd who finally gets laid, <laughs> and this is his like next morning meeting with the other nerds. 
walk in. Um, and then Mr. Freeze after that captures Batman makes handcuffs out of ice. Now there's dedication to your stick. And then there's like dedication to your stick. That is self-destructive handcuffs made out of ice. Aren't going to hold, you know, what will hold handcuffs made out of steel. So like, I know you're Mr. Freeze, but it's okay for some things not to be ice. And I think that's an important lesson that Mr. Freeze uh, needs to learn. Um, I think that might be it. I really dig the look of this show a lot. Like the Art Deco Batmobile is sort of amazing. Uh, and like the style of Batman and the way he flows when he fights is really great. But I think like the crux of this episode is like, do I buy Mr. Freeze is a sympathetic villain. Like I kind of want to, but I don't think they completely sold me on that. And as I say, I think if they established a better relationship between him and his wife would have made the, the rest of the episode stronger for it. So, um, Oh, and we all know that Mr. Uh, Ferris Boyle is going to be super evil because he's got those creepy Nat Geo cover girl eyes and nobody who has that light of an eye is ever a good person. You can ask Neil McDonough's career about that one. <laughs> well played. So with that, uh, shall we put this to a vote? I don't see any reason to. Let's just put it in and all get on with our lives. <laughs> Monty saying we're not putting this to a vote. So I guess by default it's in. <laughs> Americans love a winner <laughs> and will not tolerate a loser. Nope. I did thoroughly enjoy the presentation, though, as as well. Uh, winner and loser of the week. Tara has our winner. The winner is Elaine Bennis, a fictional character. But is she? Because her brainchild has uh, come into the world in reality. The hoverboard of 2018 is... Muffin tops. Uh, <laughs> McDonald's is adding muffin tops to its breakfast menu. Um, just call them soft cookies. I don't really get it, but good, good for her, I guess, and good for McDonald's. Still serving breakfast all day, which I support them for. <laughs> uh, I have a loser this week, and I think it might be HBO, who just had their first A and T and T managed corporate brouhaha, in which mm -hmm. one of the egg big cheeses at AT and T said. HBO is not making enough money. We want to realign the stars to make HBO more like Netflix, which is to say lots more output. And when you have lots more output, of course, you know, the quality is going to take a dive. I think they're, he's basically saying, you know, the programming is going to be broader. Uh, maybe we'll still do those big tentpole Game of Thrones things, but we're also going to be doing, you know, lesser shows and, and more of them. And, uh, I don't know why they have to make HBO this monster. I don't know why they can't just create something whole cloth to compete with Netflix. It seems to me they have something good with HBO. Maybe it's not making as much money as they want, but what is, you know, you can always make well, more money, says corporate America. But Right. But also, isn't Netflix losing lots of money as well? I, yes. I thought I had read that, <laughs> that they spend a lot on original programming and they're like operating at a huge loss. Yeah. Yes, they are. They are sort of like, you know, betting on the same thing as Amazon is, which is let's get all the asses in the seats and then we'll worry about money later. 
how, you know, step two, question, 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 you know, step three, profit. It's just funny that HBO has to be what they need to do this with. Like, I understand HBO has a brand name recognition, but like its brand is quality over quantity. And Netflix, you know, has a lot of good shows. But if you actually looked at how many shows they produce and how many you watch, you'd be stunned about how, what the ratio is there. Like yeah. for every orange is a new black and stranger things and glow, there are 22 shows that you never heard of that are total shit that Netflix just farts out. So let's say the yeah. ranch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the ranch is like one of the more famous of the nothing shows, you know, like there's just like so much <laughs> for terrible reasons. Yeah. Um, so anyways, HBO, uh, I hope they could figure the way out of this, but it just feels like they picked the wrong, the wrong thing to challenge Netflix with there. Yep. Yeah. Speaking about, uh, challenging things and, and perhaps making the wrong Being bet. Wrong. Do you know what time it is? <laughs> game time. It's game time. All right, welcome back. This is the third game time of the season. Tara has won both games so far. So it's Tara 2. Everybody else still looking to get on the board. Today we are playing where everybody knows your name from John Potts, the Mad Potter, who earned some Potsy. And <laughs> extra credit, redeemable for an extra hot, great mini topic of his choosing. Yes, minis will come back at some future date. Many shows have a bar, diner, or other hangout where the characters can meet up. Can you name the show they come from? Two points if you can get the show just from the bar name. One point if you need a hint. The hint will be a character you might meet at the bar, diner, or hangout. Here's an example. And, of course, I'm going to use this as an example because it's extremely obvious. The bar name is the Cheers Bar, where you might meet Cliff Clavin. Of course, that is Cheers. All right? So that's the way the game's played. John Potts is a merciful man, is allowing you to guess at the two point. And if you get it wrong, he's still going to give you the hint where you can guess for one. Oh, thanks, Potsy. Yeah, I was against it. And he says, you can't use this game unless <laughs> you do up, this, Dave. Dave. So, uh, Tari Ariano, steal me the situation. Him, please. Oh, thank you for the reminder. Let me flip to the front of my book as I am doing right now because I was very prepared for this question as I should be. Okay. Uh, <laughs> value guests have a steel meal. Everyone else has no steel meals. All right. So, Monty, you have one steel meal you can use during this game. If somebody answers incorrectly, you can use your steel meal to try to steal the points on offer. All right. Let's throw it to Piggy. We will start with valued guest. All right. So Monty's going first, and then we're going to follow Monty with Tara and then to Sarah. 48 questions today with three score breaks and equalizer Ooh. zones. So lots of points at play today. Are All we right. ready to play where everybody knows your name? Yes. Yes, yes. All right. Monty, the bronze. Mm. What shows the bronze from? Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You are correct. That's two points. Or Tara. Quarks. Quarks. I'm going to guess this is Deep Space Nine. Correct. Right. McLaren's. McLaren's, Sarah. McLaren's. Hint, please. Barney Stinson might be at McLaren's. Oh, okay. Uh, How I Met Your Mother. That's good for one point. Back to Monty. Your hangout, the Peach Pit. 
Oh, I'm terrified of getting this wrong because I never actually watched any of these shows, but 90210? Correct. Two points. Bada bing, Tara. Bada bing. The Sopranos. Silly picky. Luke's Diner. Gilmore Girls. Caritas. C-A-R-I-T-A-S. Caritas. It, I um, think, is oh, Caritas. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Is that True Blood? It is not. Here's your hint. Somebody you might meet there. Winifred Burkle. Oh, oh, oh. So that's Fred. She's, um... Angel? That's good for a point. McGinty's. McGinty's for Tara. Oh, oh, Fraser. Two points. All right, this is for Sarah. Granny's Diner. Granny's Diner? (sighs) Once upon a time? Oh! (laughs) Nice. Mooney's Nightclub. Monty. Mooney's Nightclub. All right. So I feel like the word moon means Teen Wolf. Mm. (laughs) I like that guess. Yeah, me too. Butch Gilzine is somebody you can meet at Mooney's Nightclub. Oh, um, Gotham? Yep. For one point. Arnold's Diner. Arnold's Diner. Happy Days. Correct. The Old Haunt. The old haunt. <laughs> the old haunt. Grim. I don't know. Javier Esposito is somebody you can meet at the old haunt. Javier Esposito. <laughs> Narcos. Castle. Castle. To Monty Moe's. The Simpsons. The Talon, not the outpost. Oh, no. The Talon. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I should know this one, and I don't. Birds of Prey. <laughs> nice. Lana Lang. Oh, small mo. <laughs> oh. All right. Pretty Number close. 15, bring us into our first score break. Fangtasia. 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 Or Tasia, probably. Yeah, probably. Fantasia. Um, is this True Blood? Yes, it yes. is. Oh, break, please. Very close game. Uh, I have nine points. Monty has eight points. Sarah has seven points. But can pull ahead. Four points. You are in the Grossworth Ecological Challenge of. Starting with classics. What Columbia professor was told he'd boost the image of teachers by cooperating with the rigged game show 21? (gasps) Oh, uh, Van Dorn. Van Dorn. Is that his name? Yep. Yeah. Charles Van Dorn. Or Doran. 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 Sorry. Close enough. Sitcom. Who once noted we lost a daughter, Edith, but we gained a meathead. Uh, who noted this? Mm-hmm. Archie noted? Bunker. Pardon me. Archie Bunker. Drama. Who did Rock Hudson portray in his first continuing TV role? 
<sighs> I don't know. Benson. Stuart McMillan. Oh. Kids and oh, Games. Oh, right. What I think I knew the answer shows to that audience was it. told? If any of you peanuts have to pick your nose, do it now before we go on the air. <laughs> if any of you peanuts have to pick your nose, ah. Uh, Mickey Mouse Club? I don't know. It was, yeah, it's kind of adjacent to that. It's the Howdy Doody Show. Oh, the Peanut Gallery. Oh, right. Oh, sure. Who made three country music albums while appearing in Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman? Uh, Barbara Mandrell? would be Mary Kay Place. All right, this is it. Uh, what? <laughs> Do or die wild card. Who claimed that over the last 25 years, his telephone workers had slammed back 150,000 gallons of coffee? I have to think that's Jerry Lewis. That is Jerry Lewis. Hey! Five, you got four points. points. All right. Tara screaming four points. <laughs> Sorry, four points. It was exciting. Wait, <laughs> it was. Good job, Sarah. Thank you for your support, Dara. Would you like a new score break since the scores have changed? Uh, sure. Well, now, Sarah's in the lead with 11 points. I still have nine. Monty still has eight. All right. <clears throat> Back to Monty. Your hangout bar thing is Joe's Bar. Joe's oh, Bar. Oh, Joe's Bar. Yep. Very distinctive. Joe's Bar. Pretty sheet there. I'm going to go with an unintuitive choice and say... Frank's place. Saul <laughs> Tai is somebody you can meet at Joe's bar. Oh. Battlestar Galactica. That's good for a point. The Stowaway. Tara. I think this is revenge. Nice pull. The Williamsburg Diner. The Williamsburg Diner. Girls. Han Lee is somebody who can meet at the Williamsburg Diner. Isn't that where Puff the Magic Dragon lives? <laughs> uh, I don't know the answer to this. I uh, have yeah, part of the answer already. Two broke girls. That's the uh, answer. Here is one for Monty. It is the Drunken Clam. Uh, uh, family Guy. Correct for two points. Nice. nice. Java the Hut. Java. Veronica Mars? The Hut. Veronica Mars, correct. Ten forward. <clears throat> Star Trek The Next Generation? Please. Black Spur Bar. The Black Spur Bar. Deadwood? Mm. Good guess. You can meet Crowley at the Black Spur Bar. Uh, and I indeed. <laughs> the show you're looking for is Supernatural. Supernatural. Thank you. The Dirty Robber. The Dirty <laughs> Robber, Tara. Um, black Sails. I like that guess. <laughs> Mora Isles. Mora. Transparent. I 
No, that's not right. <laughs> you're going to really hit yourself when you hear the answer. Brazilian Isles. Oh, oh, of course. All right. Uh, next up is P3. And it is pronounced P3 in the show, but it's actually P cubed on the sign. But everybody calls ah, it P3. Okay. P3. Uh, numb three years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Leo Wyatt. Oh, Jesus. Charmed. Good for a point. Orlando's. Orlando's. Monty. Orlando's, you say? Yes. Ole. Um. Or. Or. Thank you. Roland Weebay Bryce is somebody you can meet at Orlando's. Right. Uh, the Wire. Good for a point. McRory's. McRory's. So many Irish bars. Um. Are shows repeated? No. Not that I can see. Okay. Uh, Cagney and Lacey. Nathan Ford. You will meet at McRory's if you're lucky. You're a lucky Oof. son of a gun. You'll saddle up to Nathan Ford. Say hello, stranger. Pardon me? Outlander. This is Leverage from a man oh. animal. Sure. <laughs> Josie's Bar. Josie's Bar? Josie's Bar. <clears throat> Josie and the Pussycats? You can meet <laughs> Foggy Nelson at this bar. Oh, Jesus. Daredevil? Sure. Reggie's Diner. Reggie's Diner. Riverdale? Pardon me? Riverdale? Riverdale. <clears throat> Jake Malinak. Oh, Jake Malinak. Yeah, that helps you, right? Uh, let's say Blue Bloods. Oh, I thought you had it when you started going Becker. Oh, you said Becker. No. Cast. Uh, oh, I stand corrected. I feel like I'm giving away too much, but this is a repeat show. Cafe oh. Nervosa. Oh, this is Fraser. Also. You got both Fraser questions. Rosie's Bar. Take us into our second score break. Rosie's Bar. You should know. Rosie's Bar. Yes. Rosie's Bar. Um, Golden Girls. <laughs> Trapper John. You can see him at Rosie's Gosh. Bar having a little tipple. Okay, so I take it it's not Trapper John MD, so I'm going to say MASH. You are correct. Scores, please, Tara. Okay. Now, Sarah is in the lead with 16 points. I have 15 points, and Monty has 12 points. All right, Monty, you have a chance to get some points. Here in the Grossworth Good luck, Equalizer Good Challenge luck, Zone, you. your first category is Classics. What groundbreaking game show's first panel was Laura Hobson... Orson Bean, Melville Cooper, and Louise Arberton. Uh, what's my line? You are incorrect. <sighs> that was I've Got a Secret. Oh, man. <clears throat> Same show. Sitcom. Where did Mark and Mindy spend their honeymoon? Mork. And Mark Mindy. and Mindy? Did Mork I say Mark? And Mindy, Mork. I think. Yes, you did. <laughs> 
Um, Mark and Mindy spend <laughs> No, that's a trick question. The actual question is, where did Mark and Mindy spend their honeymoon? Well, I know they lived in Boulder, so they probably wouldn't spend their honeymoon there. Given the era, I'm going to say Hawaii. Oh, so close. Mm. He's in fact on a different planet, Orc. Oh, okay. That's that's also a good idea. Drama. <laughs> what Colleen McCullough novel captivated viewers when made into a 1983 miniseries? <laughs> okay. Uh, can I have that author again? Yeah. Uh, Colleen McCullough. Okay. So let's... Let's see. That's not Shogun. It's not Roots. I don't think it's Roots. I don't think it's the Winds of War. I don't think it's North and South. Ah, boy, normally knowing all those gives me enough uh, 1980s you're miniseries. You're so in the so, ballpark. I know so I close. <clears throat> oh, man. No, you really are. That was not a joke. I will say everything you've said so <laughs> far is correct. Yeah. Oh, man. What are you forgetting? What wasn't That's listed? Next... I know, right? Pretty famous. Sure it was. Everybody knows mm. it. That show? The Thornbirds. Thorn oh, of course, the Thornbirds. The good old Thornbirds. Mark Thornberg. Thornbards. <laughs> what caring bear asks, do you have a secret? You can tell me anything. What care bear? What caring, caring bear. bear? What caring bear asks, do you have a secret? You can tell me anything. I think oh. you should probably avoid this caring bear. Sounds like he might want you to come into his big love van. Oh, man. Ew. This is killing me because I'm thinking of the wrong bears. List bears that it isn't. <laughs> I had a nickel. The Thornbeards. <laughs> Mark Thornbear. I'm going to say that it's Smokey and he just uh, got a side gig. Mm. It's Secret Bear. <laughs> Secret Bear. The Thorn Bears. The most Secret perverted bear. of all that, the Care Bears. That sounds disgusting. Stars. Sorry. What actor did Billy Connolly replace on Head of the Class? Howard Hessman. <laughs> what successful sitcom did Richard Dawson co-star on before he hosted Family Feud? Hogan's Heroes. Yes, correct. We only got two, unfortunately. So well, we're back to the strong, game. Though. Strong finish, though. Yep, strong finish. We're Thorn are, Bears. Uh, 31 of 48. <laughs> Doc Magoo's Doc Magoo's. That's for you, Mike. <laughs> uh, Fitting. Northern Exposure? Incorrect. Susan Lewis is somebody you can meet at Doc Magoo's. We need an answer stat. I'm going to go with Northern Exposure again. I think you were lying. <laughs> I love your spirit. Uh, I believe our other panelists here know the answer to this one. You do. Yeah. It's ER, oh. yes. Lou's Coffee Shop, Tara. What's Lou's? Lou's Coffee Shop, like your father's name, Lou. Right. Um, Simon and Simon. Mm. Molly Salverson. Can be Fargo. Fargo. Crash. Simply Crash. Roswell. What? Oh. Original Cindy McKechnie. Original Original. Original Cindy. I will say, I think it is contemporary with Roswell. Original Cindy. 
I have no idea. It's Dark Angel. Oh. <laughs> All right. This is a tough one. This And uh, nobody's going to judge you if you're getting it wrong. It's Central Perk. <laughs> I'm going to say Friends. Correct. I need your pity. Nice pull. I, I do need your pity. <laughs> Tara. Yeah. The Pie Hole. <laughs> is this Pushing Daisies? Yes, it is. Nice. Noonan's. Noonan. Fuck. Different strokes. Oh, strokes. You are correct, mm, but Alex Donvers can be cited at Noonan's from time to time, enjoying whatever it is they serve there. Donvers. Danvers. Danvers? Mm-hmm. Alice Donvers. Uh, is this Supergirl? It is. What did I say? Donvers? Donvers. We're going to need a bigger <laughs> font, guys. Real Gem Saloon. Real Gem Saloon? Yes. Uh, Steven Universe? I will say that uh, before you answer, <laughs> that I believe that answer. is the official name. It was often just referred to as The Gem. Still don't know. Still going with my Steven Universe answer. Seth Bullock can be spotted at wow. The Real Gem Saloon. Very well, then. Deadwood. <laughs> Pretty close to Steven Universe, though. Taggeries. Taggeries. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Bones. Dr. Claire Allen. Grey's Anatomy. It's Cupid. Oh. Cupid. Oh. Emerald City Bar. Emerald City like I should know this and yet don't know it alright Oz no Alex Karev oh this is Grey's Anatomy <laughs> fuckers <laughs> alright uh, here we are everybody's like the second of Oz. to last question coming up this is Monty's The Brick Oh, boy, that sounds super familiar. It should, because I think you've actually said the name of the show in an incorrect answer earlier. I probably have. Okay. Well. The only ones I can, the only incorrect answers I can think of for once I actually know the name of the bar, and that wasn't it. <laughs> All right. Nope. Character that you can find at the brick. Running the brick. Hauling Vincour. No, oh, oh. it is Northern Exposure. It is. One point. Hauling. Anthony Anthony's. <laughs> um, who will you meet there? <laughs> number one ladies detective agency. <laughs> Natalie Hurley, you can meet here at Anthony Anthony's. Yeah. Um, Little Nat Her. <laughs> sports night. Nice. Wow. All right, Sarah. King Kamehameha Club. Lost. Oh. Orville Richard Wright, you can meet here. Can I? Yes. Orville Richard Wright. Take a moment. Think about King Kamehameha. Answer accordingly. I don't. 
Kelowna. <laughs> That's Magnum PI. <laughs> oh. oh, I was thinking Hawaii Five O. <laughs> yeah, well, I figured you know it lead you a little bit down the path, but not all the way. Sure. All right, everybody has one question left, so let's hear the scores. Okay, uh, I have fourteen points. Sarah has thirteen points. Monty has. No, you have nineteen. No. I have 19. Sarah has 18. Monty has 16. I can't do hashtags. Hash All right. So that means, Monty. You are in the Electric Challenge Zone. You can earn four <laughs> points. You get three four questions bears. right. If you run the board, you get eight points. Oh, here comes the lead. Classics. Classics is your first category. What network's first nightly newscast was the Camel News Real Theater? Oh, my God. <laughs> the Camel Newsreel Theater. The Camel uh, Newsreel Theater. Let's say what? CBS. CBS. Mm. NBC. All right. Sitcom. <laughs> what TV reporter lists Aretha Franklin and the Shirelles among her heroines? Barbara Walters. It's not a sitcom. That is Murphy Brown. Oh, Murphy Brown. Sorry. <laughs> Drama. Did Peter Falk ever appear on the ill-fated bomb Mrs. Columbo? No. 50-50 chance. He did not. I actually correct. had the Murphy Brown track album, which was a bunch of Motown. <laughs> yeah. Tootling. Yeah. What kind of animal was Calvin on the animated series Calvin and the Colonel? Uh, bird? It was a bear. <laughs> I see what you did there. Who finally won an Emmy for Best Comedy Series Star in his ninth nomination in 1990? <laughs> okay, hang on. Uh, 1990, ninth nomination, started in 81. Um, or thereabouts. Hmm. Well, you know, assuming that he got, him, got one each year. Oh, that's a good point. Um, I'm going to say uh, Cosby. That's a good starting Oh. Ted Danson. Ted Danson. Uh-huh. All right, that puts you out of contention. Let's get back to the game. Okay. The Ice House, Monty. Where is the Ice House? Uh, boy, <laughs> and I already used Northern Exposure a couple of times. Um, <laughs> good, good answer. Good answer. I'm Sorry. going with Batman, 1966. <laughs> uh, Joey Potter can be found at the Ice House on occasion. Oh, boy. I should know what show that is, shouldn't I? Uh, Dawson's Joey Creek. Potter. Dawson's Creek. Yep. Hey. The Lanford Lunchbox. Roseanne. Roseanne. Two points. Riff's Restaurant. Riff's Restaurant. Riff's. Yeah. R-I-F-F. Rock and Roll High School. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Ursula Buffet can be met here. Oh, friends. Again. Mad about you. Gotcha. Ben oh. twinned or something. All right, that's the game. Okay. Scores, please, Sarah. Monty finished with 17. Sarah had 18. I had 21. All Nicely right. done. Tara wins. We are going to play the tiebreaker here for a steel mill. Oh. For future use. Mm-hmm. It's going to read the name of the bar, diner, or hangout. First person to shout out the show wins the steel mill. Here we go. The Boar's Nest. Boar's Nest. Wings? <laughs> on the ground that it has a nest in it? I don't Here's know. somebody you might meet at the Boar's Nest on occasion. 
Roscoe P. Coltrane. Duke Snazzard. You are correct. Guys, well done. And may I say, my head is so swimmy today, I think I might pass out before I finish reading this. <laughs> that is another episode of Extra Hot Great in the Can. We activated our magic glowing moles to ensure safe passage to the outpost before journeying around the dial with stops at Nailed It, Glow, Penn and Teller's Fool Us, and Animal Kingdom. We put Monty's Batman, the animated series, Cannon Pitch on ice, crowned winners and losers of the week, and Tara was the winner of this week's bar-filled game time. Remember, we're listening. I am David T. Cole, and on behalf of Tara Ariano, Hachoo, Sarah D. Bunting, more like Tiberian Drek, am I right? And Monty Ashley. I gotta go cut the tips off my ears now. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next time, right here on Extra Not Great. When the wage slaves start acting like they own the place, it's time to pull the plug. Know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) This has been a production of the Previously.tv Podcast Network. 